change, it's uncomfortable. Amen. So I, I want to say thank you to our worship team because today's a change. It's different. Uh, Pastor Aaron really um, assists in so many ways in leading our team. But uh, I'm thankful we have a worship team that can step up and lead us in worship in his absence. Amen. So I'm thankful for them. Let's give them, not, not to give them glory, but just say thank you for using your gifts and uh, the, to be used of the Lord that way. And then uh, I want you to you go ahead and start turning. I'm going to give you a couple of verses, and I've got a couple, of things I wanna, a couple more things I want to mention as you're making your way there. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, open that Bible up and uh, turn first to Luke 22. Luke chapter 22, put, up, put, your, put your, uh, your little ribbon in there or a bookmark in there or a page, something. Mark your place there in Luke 22 and then turn over to Revelation chapter 3. And uh, so you can follow along this morning in your scriptures. We're going to put some of these verses, a lot of these verses on the screen. But I hope you'll open the Bible. I hope you'll turn with us in the scripture. So as you're making your way there, um, I missed someone who I did not see earlier. And uh, Miss Carol Ellerby is back with us this morning. So good to see you back here this morning, coming through back surgery and everything, just continuing to get better uh, all the time. I pray that you're just continuing to be strengthened. So we're glad you're with us this morning. Now, I don't want any rumors to get started. And a lot of times when things aren't said, rumors start, right? Because people start rumors. I want to explain why we're sitting over here today, because for four years I've been here and we sat right here. And it all started when Rusty Chikowski came and sat behind me. <laughs> if you want to know why we moved, just go sit in, in front of Rusty. No, I'm kidding. It has nothing to do with Rusty. Uh, Gina, with her directing the nursery, sometimes she has to go out. And if she's here, she doesn't feel comfortable going all the way across the front. Most, most people would just go right across the front. Gina can't do that. She would go around the back, all the way around and out the side. So by sitting here, it makes an easy out for her if she needs to run to the nursery. So we're moving over here, and there's just better company over here too, Rusty. Just saying. So, what? <laughs> You like the other excuse better? Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, we're, gonna, we're continuing this morning in our, in our series, and I know we're going to be at least three weeks in this series because I already know where I'm going next week, um, and uh, I know where we're going. Hopefully, I know where we're going this morning. So we've got at least three weeks in this series as we talk about extraordinary forgiveness. But as we talk about extraordinary forgiveness, part of what I said last week was this forgiveness we're talking about shouldn't be extraordinary for the Christian. This should be our ordinary forgiveness in the way that we forgive others when we have this area of offense. So this morning, we continue this series on extraordinary forgiveness. And I'm going to give you the title this morning. The title is Shake and Bake. Shake and Bake. All right. So, so you, can always, you can go ahead and put up the next slide. How many of you remember Shake and Bake? All right, so I, I grew up, listen, I grew up with Shake and Bake. Now, I want to I read you what I think is Wikipedia where I found this, but it says about Shake and Bake. Shake and Bake, manufactured by Kraft Foods, is a flavored breadcrumb style coating for chicken and pork. The product is applied by placing raw meat pieces in a bag containing the coating, closing the bag, and shaking so the particles adhere. The coated meat is then baked in the oven, and, and something good comes out. Amen? I, I don't know. I, I haven't had shake and bake in a long time, but I grew up with shake and bake. I can remember helping my mom throw chicken in the, in the bag, and we thought that was cool. We helped cook. So you're thinking, what in the world have we digressed to talking about shake and bake this morning? Well, I promise you, 
There is a there is a, a an illustration, a reason for it. It may not be great, but it's it's there. Okay. So what what this is is kind of an illustration of what God does in our lives, shaking and baking. Okay, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning is the shake and bake and, and how God uses that. So Luke 17, 1, we got here last week. We were looking at Luke 17, 1. It says, then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. Now, now we, you know, I'm not going back and rehearsing all that we talked about last week. But in that scripture there, it says in, it is impossible. This is Jesus saying this, that no offenses should come. That means things are going to happen in our lives that, that bring offense, that hurt us that are, are problems for us. You cannot avoid it. If you live in this world, it's going to happen. And that word offense is there was the Greek word scandalon, which means a trap stick. And we showed you the pictures of a trap, and, and, and it literally means a bent sapling. That's what the original language actually means. So they would, you know, you bend, the tr- you bend the stick, and you set it up, and you fashion it in a way, and you put a rock or whatever on top of it, and then you put the bait in there. That's what these offenses are. It's the place where the bait is placed. And, and, and it's, so it's a trap. It's the idea of this. It's to bait something, to attract something, to catch something, kill it, or, or at least capture it. And uh, so it's the tool that Satan uses to bring people into captivity. And we talked extensively about that last week, how God, God doesn't use it. Satan uses offense. So when we, something happens, then Satan comes in. He puts the bait there to be offended. I'm offended by that. I got my feelings hurt. or I don't like this. Or they did this to me. And, and, we, and, and, and so it's that thing that when we, when we bite that, we've taken the bait. We've taken the bait of Satan. And then when we do that and we fall into offense and become offended, we're actually held captive by Satan. And that's what we really looked at last week. We're going to look at it from a different point of view this week. And, um, and so just bear with me as we get there. Um, I tend to get ahead of myself, and I don't want to do that. I'm trying to be, uh, work through this uh, logically so that, that we can understand the trail we're going here. So the sins that often uh, are birthed through offenses are anger, Bitterness, unforgiveness, wrath, hate, envy, strife, gossip, backbiting, sowing discord, and broken relationships. And you can probably think of some others that, that, would, that would be a part of that. But these are the things that when there is an offense, we are tempted to go that route. And, to, and to, that would be the fruit of that offense if we allow ourselves to be offended. And, and all of those things are founded in a word called Pride. If we're going to go back and look at it, it's all a part of pride. It's always pride. Pride, most everything, I would, I would venture to say everything in the Christian life can boil down to pride. It's the original sin. It's the, it's the sin that, that, that brought Satan's fall. It's the sin that brought the fall of man. And it's the sin we fight with today is pride. And in so many different ways, and it looks all these different manifestations. But here's what in the area of offense, what pride does. Pride says, I, pride says I'm a victim. I'm a victim. That's probably, we could stop right there, but I'm a victim. I've been done wrong. They were wrong, so I'm justified. I'm justified. I'm right in my behavior. I'm right in anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and wrath and hate and envy and strife and gossip and backbiting and sowing discord and broken relationships. I'm right in that because they were wrong. Does that make sense? 
I mean, it's what we do, but it doesn't make sense from a Christian standpoint. It, it makes sense that that's what happens, and we see it all the time, and we experience it. If we're not careful, we experience it. We can be offended with the smallest thing. But here's what happens. You know, when we do that, we become angry. We become bitter. We hold back forgiveness. We believe we were wronged. We're innocent. It wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm a victim. And, and if you understand math, wrong times wrong is wrong squared. Right? Wrong times wrong it does not equal right. So me doing wrong as a result of someone else doing wrong does not equal right. Um, so we have to understand that. Regardless of what someone else does, I'm responsible for what I do. Now, we can help the other person. If they truly did something against me, we can help them to understand that. Then it's on them. They can either confess that or they can hold on to it. They're gonna deal, the Lord's going to deal with them either way. My, my responsibility is not in what you do to me. It's in what I, how I respond to that before the Lord. So doing wrong is not the right thing to do in that. So what we see in, in the church, now we've been on Wednesday nights, we've, been, we've, been, we've begun our study on Revelation. And we're going to turn there in Revelation chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 17. We'll look at just a couple of verses here. But what I want us to see here is the church of the Laodiceans there in Revelation. And, and, and folks, I challenge you to see yourself in this because... We, we should see ourselves when we read this of what the church in Laodicea was doing. Verse 17 says, because you say. Now, it's, it, it, it didn't say because you are. Uh, he said because you say. This is what you say. This is what you think of yourself. This is what the, this church, these people in this church, this is what they thought. Because you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. That's how they saw themselves. They didn't need anything. They were proud. They were rich. They were wealthy. They didn't need anything or anyone, not even God. I'm rich. They, they, that's what they were. But, but the Lord says here, and do not know that you are. Now here's where the Lord says you are. You say that you're this, but I say this is what you are. You are wretched. You are miserable. You are poor, blind, and naked. Wow, how could any two views of something or someone be so different? That's pride. That's deceit. We deceive ourselves in thinking we're something we're not. And so the Lord here revealed to them their true condition. Um, you know what? We're proud like they were. And, and, and we don't see ourselves as truly as we truly are either. They didn't see themselves as they were. They saw themselves as they thought they were or they wanted to be or, or pride and arrogance or their deception had them believing that they were. And, you know, one of the greatest things as an American, I'm thankful to be an American. I'm thankful I was born in this country. But our prosperity is our greatest problem in our country. We've become so self-reliant and self-dependent. We got money in the bank. I got a savings account. I got this. I got a good job, a nice car, a nice house. I got it all. I don't need anything. And nothing could be further from the truth. See, what they did, uh, well, let's, let's look at, you know, they thought that they're, they're, they, they were deceived by this. They thought that they, they, were, they were something. They, th they equated financial prosperity and financial having something, and they equated that with spiritual maturity, and, it, and it's not that at all. And so we have to guard against this. Hebrews 12 one says, Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. 
So there's weights and there's sins that easily ensnare us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, weight and sin that, it, that, that so easily ensnares us, or your translation may entangles us. Uh, the, I think the ESV says clings so closely. It holds on to us. It hinders us. King James says it besets us. It slows us. You know, whatever it is, as we're running this race, it, sin is a thing that ensnares us. It'd be like trying to run a marathon and somebody jumped on your back. And you, now you're trying to run the marathon with somebody that clings close. That's the idea here. And pride is just such a weight and sin in our life. It hinders us from running the race that God has given us. So they mistook, as I just said, they mistook financial security for spiritual strength and maturity. They thought, man, spiritually we're good because financially we're good. That's another lie in America today, this whole prosperity gospel thing. And we equate, well, if I'm doing okay financially, I must be good spiritually because God blesses us with money. Money when we're real close to him. Hogwash, to use a famous phrase from, our, from, from days gone past. Pride hid their true condition. And folks, pride hides our true condition today. It hides our condition today. So what's the cure that God gives to the Laodiceans? You look at verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. He says, now you aren't rich. But if you buy gold refined in the fire, you buy this from me that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. It's what the Lord told them to do. He said, buy this gold. So verse 18, I counsel you to buy gold. Buy from me gold refined in the fire. Now, let's talk about just a second on gold. I don't want to spend too much time here, but pure gold is very soft. You know, if you see, you know, if you've ever held a gold coin, I have, and I've always wanted to do that. I always want to bite it and just see. And you bite a gold coin, you'll break a tooth. I mean, it's... It, they're hard, unless it's just pure, pure gold. Um, it's hard. But you go out and find a pure nugget out, and you always saw the old Westerns when they're out prospecting, they find it, woo, 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 and they, yeah, it's gold. You know, so the gold is soft. Pure gold is very, very soft. What happens is when other things are added to it, and that's what we do to make coins. If you got a, you know, if you had a $50 gold piece back in the day and it was pure gold, I mean, it was nothing but gold, that, co that coin ain't going to be a coin long because it's going to bend, it's going to get smushed, all those things. What happens is they add to it. They add the things called alloys. They add other me uh, metals to it. They add things that pollute the gold. But what it does, it makes it hard. And, and so the more foreign substance, the harder the gold gets. So you got to get the trash out and the gold becomes softer, okay? So Hebrews 3.13 says this, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Folks, when we get that junk in our life, and we get a lot of junk in our life, you know what? Our hearts get hard. Just like that gold gets hard. The more alloys in it, the harder the gold. The more junk that gets in our life, the more sin that's in our life, the more unconfessing, the more offenses, things that we get offended by and we hold on to, the things we don't let go of, then those things harden our heart. And it says here, exhort, exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So you think, why is it important to be in church? Why is it important to fellowship together as believers? That verse right there is why. That's one verse of many that tells us we need to be around each other. We need to encourage each other and strengthen each other so that, man, preacher, what's going on with you? 
boy, I heard what you said, man. That sounded, you sounded a little cold. It sounded a little harsh. It sounded a little harsh. Man, is your heart right? Are you good with God? Is there something you need to get right with him? Confess. We need to hold each other accountable and encourage each other. Amen? Okay, glad you all amen that. Good. If we, if we, listen, if we do not deal with offenses, it will reduce more fruit of sin, such as bitterness, anger, resentment, and wrath. And these harden our hearts like the alloys harden gold. So when this happens, we become less tender. We're, we're not as tender. We become harsh. We become critical, those things. We become less tender. We experience a loss of sensitivity to God. So the things of God now, we don't sense them as much. We don't, we don't feel His presence. He hadn't gone anywhere. We're the one who's turned. We're the one who's getting hard-hearted, but we don't feel it. We're not as sensitive to God. We are hindered in our ability to hear God's voice. There's a time where you've, you've been in Scripture and you heard from God. You heard clearly from God. You've been in prayer and you hear from God. And, there's, and, and we get these things in our lives and we, we, we're hindered in our ability to hear His voice. And our ability to see accurately spiritually is darkened. So now we're, we're struggling to see things spiritually, to see the spiritual part of things accurately. We lose that. And this is the perfect setting for deception. And this is when people, you get in a place where these things are going on and we think we're fine. I'm good. Everything's great. I'm nothing wrong. We're deceiving ourselves. Now look, the only way to purify gold is to put it in the refiner's fire. It's got to be heated up. They heat it up. They get it really hot. They melt it. They put other stuff in there, and it, and it grabs on to the, the impurities there, and then they can be scraped off or ladled off. They'll rise to the top, and then you can purify that gold. And the more you purify it, the, 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 the softer the gold gets, the purer it gets. And that all, that's a picture of our hearts. Isaiah 48.10 says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. God says... Here's how we deal with your pride. Here's how we deal with the sin in your life. I'll purify you. You will be refined in the furnace of affliction. 1 Peter 1, 6. In this you greatly rejoice that now for a little while, you need, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Anybody here have been grieved by some trials in your life, some testings in your life, some situations? Just a couple of you? Is that all? That's not a rhetorical question. I want to see a hand. Y'all get involved here. Okay. All right. I thought, well, just move on, skip that if it's not going to help you. But we've been grieved by that. But it continues, verse 7 says that the genuineness of your faith. Why? Why have you been grieved by various trials? That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We go through these Times of being refined in the refiner's fire. Remember back in the, probably been Gina's smiling. She already knows what I'm going to talk about. Um, folks, Gina was in a praise team 20, 20 plus years ago. We, we were in a little praise team together in, our, in the church we met in. And uh, one of the songs we sang was Refiner's Fire. And uh, some of you may know that song. But I always think of that when we talk about being refined in that fire. It is, not a, it is not a warm, fuzzy, comfortable feeling. Understand this. This is how God works in our lives. Not everything is just warm and fuzzy. Now, we want it to be. We don't want to have any problems or situations or concerns in our life. We want everything to be warm and fuzzy and gentle and, you know, and cotton candy and, and unicorns. We want it all to be just great. And that is not Christianity, folks. 
That's not how God works in our life. And, 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 and you, you could testify. I could go around the room right now. You could testify to how you have grown through the difficult times. I challenge you. Tell me a time in your life where everything was just going so super smooth and great and wonderful. Tell me about the growth you had spiritually in that time. Generally, that doesn't mean it can't happen. But what I'm telling you is we don't typically grow as well in those situations. It's the mountain peaks. You don't have growth on the mountain peak. You have growth in the valley. You have growth down in the difficult things, in the difficult times. See, God refines us with afflictions, trials, and tribulations, the heat of which separates impurities such as unforgiveness, strife, bitterness, angry, envy, envy, and so forth from the character of God in our lives. When, we, when, when our offense is revealed to us, we have a choice. So God uses these things to reveal to us these sins in our life, this sin. So it may be a re- revealing a sin of, of unforgiveness and bitterness and anger. And so when that is revealed to us, and it could be our pride, when it's revealed to us, man, I got pride in this area. When it's revealed to us, we have a choice to make. And the choice, first choice is this. We can remain angry and blame someone else. That's where a lot of people get. That's where a lot of people in church it and stay right there. Yeah, I know what the Bible says, or uh, this is one I've heard a lot. Yeah, I don't care what the Bible says. Mm. Well, then hang on. Because as if you're really a believer and that's your attitude, you just thought the fire was hot. It's fixing to get hotter. And he's going to work because as a, as a child of God, he's not going to let you stay in that sinful state, and that sinful attitude. He's going to work in our lives. So we can remain angry and blame someone else, or we can see the dross, that dross, that, that, those impurities of sin for what it is, and we can repent, we can receive forgiveness, and God will take his ladle, and he'll ladle off those impurities and remove them from our life. But he reveals it. We have a choice. Folks, you always have a choice. God gave you a free will. He says, I'm going to reveal it in your life. I'm going to do all this. Now, now if you want to stay hard-headed, you want to stay proud, you want to stay living like you're living, you want to continue to try to be the boss, fine. But we're going to deal with you. If you're a child of mine, that's what God says. If you're my child, then I'm going to deal with you. How many of you don't deal with your children? Jesse? Did your parents deal with you? No? That's why he is like he is now. So back here, <laughs> being obstinate. So... We'll deal with you later then. (laughs) Revelation 3.18, again, says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white uh, white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may, may not be revealed. And then right here it says, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Folks, we have to get to a place where we can see the sin in our lives. We have to acknowledge that sin in our lives. We cannot repent of our sin when we hold to the lie that we are a victim and are justified in our bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and envy and resentment. You cannot. You cannot repent of your sin and hold on to the lie that you're a victim. Get that. That's big. That's when we realize... I'm not a victim. I'm not a victim. And I'm going to deal. I'm going to let God deal with me with whatever it is in in my life that he's trying to do. I'm going to do that. So while we reject the truth of God's word, we're blind. The revelation of truth brings freedom and forgiveness and healing. God brings conviction as he reveals our sin to us. Now, God brings conviction, not condemnation. 
Conviction draws us to God. It comes from God. Condemnation pushes you away from God, and it is from Satan. Understand the differences there, folks. If, if you say, well, I'm convicted, and it's pushing you away from the Lord, it ain't conviction. That's condemnation, and that's out of the pit of hell to condemn you. God will not condemn you. He is convicting. His whole purpose always is to bring you back into right relationship, and that's what conviction does. So conviction and condemnation are two different things, and God brings conviction. He reveals that sin to us, and we're convicted by it. You know, how do we respond? Do we respond by repenting of that sin and coming back to Him, allowing Him to forgive it, and then, and then healing us, or do, we, or do we let it push us away? Do we let Satan, man, we take the bait and Satan's given and continue down that road. So again, let's look at, let's look at how God purifies us. So a great example of how this works. And, and so, so pastor, if, 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 if God's going to do those things in our life, what's an example we see in scripture? All right. So turn over to Luke 22. We're going to look here because a great example we have of this is Simon Peter. We see in his life. So, so Luke 22 verse 21, we'll start right there. Now this is the, the, there at the last supper and, and the evening is going on. In verse 21, we get to here, it says, But behold, the hand of him that betrayed... And this is Jesus. The hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it, as it was determined. But woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. Okay? The Lord is saying right here, I'm going to be betrayed. And one of you sitting at this table is going to betray me. One of you 12 is going to betray me. And you're, it's, it's those that are dipping their hand in, in the, with me. You are, you are fellowshipping with me. You're breaking bread with me. And one of you is going to betray me. And he reveals this to the disciples. Now, you know, you would think they would, they would be talking to Jesus. You would think they would be discussing with him, having a conversation with him. You'd think they would be, hopefully their response would be, well, I don't know who it is, but it ain't me. And Lord, and maybe being a cop. That's not how they responded. Look at verse 23. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. Well, well he already knew. What are you talking to each other for? Oh, yeah, it's me. You think, you think Judas is just going to pipe up there and go, ah, yeah, yeah, guys, I forget the conversation. It's me. It's me. I'm the one. No, they're going to hide that. But you see the selfishness here. Jesus is telling them that he, he's going to be betrayed by one of them, and it turns immediately to themselves. They aren't even talking about Jesus now. They're not even talking to Jesus they're, they're concerned about each other, and it, and it digresses really quick. You know, this is the thing. This is where conversation stealers, Gina and I went on a little retreat this weekend, and one of the things, they had a marriage, they had a marriage session. They talked about conversation stealers and, and the hijackers, I think it was. So they're the ones who you're having a conversation with somebody. You say, man, you know, I sprained my ankle, and it was really hurt. And they go, oh, yeah. You know, one time I had a bunion on my foot, and, man, it just, it hurts so bad. You just wouldn't believe. It's... I saw a meme a while back, and I was trying to find it, but the guy says, you know, anytime people start sharing their problems with me, I immediately get it back where it's supposed to be, on me. <laughs> you know, so it's that, it's that self-centered, self-focused, and that's where they get to real quick. They get into that place where they're not even, they're not even concerned about the Lord. It's all now about them, and they're in this debate. It's a selfish debate. Look at verse 24. It gets even better. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. Now, how do we go from one of you is going to betray me to now they're arguing about which one's the greatest? 
It's no longer about which one of you is going to betray the Lord. It's, it's now about, well, I know it ain't me. Cause Here's what it is. Here's what it is. It, I know it ain't me. I know it ain't me because I would never do that to the Lord. I'm, I'm more spiritual than that. In fact, I'm probably more spiritual than all y'all here. In fact, I would think Peter might have been the one to kind of have that attitude. And we pick on Peter because Peter's foot was about a nine and a half. I mean, his mouth was about a nine and a half because his foot was about a nine and a half. Peter opened his mouth often. He was quick to speak and, and he was very passionate. And uh, so, so Peter might have been the one to speak first. And he, 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 he was still a man at this point. Understand, he'd been with the Lord all this time. He'd heard the Lord. He acknowledged things spiritually, but he was still a man of self-confidence and pride. At this point, he's a man of pride. And, and Peter could have been one said, well, I know it's not me. I'll tell you why. Look, I owned my own fishing business, and I gave it up for the Lord to follow the Lord Jesus. Ain't none of y'all done that. You were just a fisherman. I, you know, I paid. You worked for me for a while. Whatever. You know, I, I, I did this. Listen, I walked on water. I mean, I, I'm looking to see which one of y'all walked on water. Oh, no, no, that's right. None of y'all did. It was just me. I walked on water. Look, I was the first one to recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and you know what? I was with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. So I'm, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm probably, and, and I'm pretty sure that I'm the greatest of the, of the 12 here. So that doesn't come from a place of love right there. That, that's rooted in pride. That's rooted in pride. So let's skip down now to Luke 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. He may sift you. Now, Satan has asked Jesus for Peter. He's asked for him. He wants to sift him. Now, what does that mean to sift him as wheat? Well, the word sift means, well, it means sift. Yeah, they're Captain Obvious in the dictionary. They're like me. Uh, it means sift, but it means to shake in a sieve. Um, by inward, uh, uh, second part of this is by inward agitation to try one's faith to the verge of overthrow. So I brought a, we got a, I think we got a picture. Y'all have seen these, these old sieves, right? How many of you have watched your grandmother or somebody use one of those? My, my grandmother had one. It was really, I think it was, an, it, was it looked a lot like that right there. And, and it was, you know, it had the, you put the flour in and then you had the little handle there. And the flour was going to be run through the mill. I mean, it's going to be, it's to break up knots, it's to purify that. It's gonna, and I can remember my grandmother, she'd make homemade biscuits and she'd get that flour in there and she'd be shaking it and she'd twist it and she'd pat it down some more, shake it down. So it's a sieve. Now, this is, we've made these easy, so we just, you know. But if you look in there, I don't want to go through that. It, that's, that's a picture of what we go through spiritually. That, 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 that's not good. It's going to be run through the sieve. He wants to sift him. And so the idea is here that Satan, he wanted to try Peter, and he wanted to try to break Peter's faith. He wants to agitate by, 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 uh, to try one's faith to the verge of overthrow. He wants to overthrow Peter's faith. Now, we've seen this before. We saw this with Job. You know, Satan comes and... And we think Satan challenged God, but God challenged Satan because God starts the conversation. Have you considered my servant Job? Hmm, ain't none like him. And so it's a contest in heaven. Job never knew about it. He didn't understand what was going on. And, uh, and, and, and God allowed Satan to work, but Satan wanted to break him. He wanted to prove that he only loves you because you look out for him and you've blessed his life. And, oh, well, uh, that didn't work. So, uh, well, you know what? If you've touched him physically, you know, if you brought boils or whatever, he said, well, all right, have had him. Have at him. Just don't kill him. 
And I mean, he tortured Job. God allowed that. Folks, you realize that? God allowed that. So he's going to sift right here. But here's what we'd say. You know, so Satan wants to break Peter's faith. That's what he wants. Now, if this is us and we know this is going, here's what we do. We're calling a prayer meeting. We're calling a prayer meeting and we're going, we're going, brothers, we got to pray, brothers and sisters, we got to pray. We got to pray a wall of protection around Brother Peter. We got to keep him from going through this great trial and tribulation. We got to prevent this from happening. We got to pray for this wall, this hedge of protection around our brother. Brothers and sisters, let's pray. Or we, w- we would ask that God keep this from happening to him. That would be our prayer. Now, if that's our prayer, are we in the will of God or not? No, we're not. So I'm telling you, folks, I'm being challenged all the time with how I pray. And I think, how many times am I praying contrary to what God's doing? How many times am I praying for somebody to be relieved of this situation uh, because we're compassionate, we care about them, when God may be using that to bring them where he wants them to be? So that's, that's, what, that's what we would probably do. But look at what Jesus does here, verse 32. But I have prayed for you. Oh, that's good. Thank you, Lord. Peter's like, good. Lord, you prayed for us. That your faith should not fail. He didn't say, I'm not going to let you go through this. He didn't say, I'm not going to let Satan have at you. He didn't say, all is well. I'm protecting you. No worry about it. You're in a bubble. You're, you're protected. You're not out. No, no, no. He said, Peter, I've prayed for you. That your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brother. Now, if... Peter had listened right there. There was great peace in that statement. Because the Lord said, when you have returned to me. It's just like when he told Moses, when you bring the children out, you're going to worship me on this mountain. That was a promise. He's already told him what's going to happen. So when when you return to me, when, when you've been tested, you've been put through the fire, you've been run through the sieve, you've been shaken, shaking and baking, Peter, when you've gone through that, then, then you're going to come back to me. You're going to return to me. When you do that, then strengthen your brethren. So, so Jesus didn't pray for him to keep him out of the sifting. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't pray. You know, he, he prayed for him as he went through it. He prayed for him to grow through it, to mature, to lose that unhealthy, unspiritual, fleshly pride. The Lord knew what needed to happen in Peter's life. If Peter was going to do what God had prepared him to do, he wasn't fully prepared to do what God had prepared him to do yet. There was still some preparing to do. Does that all make sense? There's still some work to do. Verse 33, but he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Wow, perfect example of why Peter needs to be sifted. Because his comment there isn't, Lord, would you help me here? Lord, Lord are you, uh, you, you know, what's going on? No, his, his thing was, Lord, I'm ready. I'll go, I'll go to prison. I'll even go to death for you, Lord. There's pride. We sit, you see it? It's, it's just, it's right there. It, that is from self-confidence and pride. Big talk. Boy, Peter reminds me of me. Verse 34. Then he, Jesus, said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times, uh, deny three times that you know me. And you have to think, even there, Peter's like, yeah, whatever, Jesus. I know you know everything, but you don't know this. There's no way. I just told you I'd go to prison for you or I'd die for you. There's no way I'm going to deny, deny you three times. But Peter's going to be shaken, and he's going to be baked, and he's going to be put in the refiner's furnace. 
Now, when you talk about shaking, there's five things that I want us to look at here, five things that shaking accomplishes. Number one, it brings us closer to its foundation. Whatever it is, whatever it is, it brings you closer to the foundation. Now, guys out there, I'll speak to you, you would understand this, pouring concrete, right? So if you're pouring concrete, you're pouring footers, sometimes you've got to agitate it because you want to make sure all that concrete gets settled in. You're going to do whatever, you're going to pat it down. Ladies... Or bakers in here, not just ladies, there's guys that bake too. But if you're baking, you pour the, you pour the batter in that pan, don't you, don't you pat it down? Don't you? Do y'all do that? I'm looking for my bakers because the rest of you are going, huh? So you would pat it because you want to get the air bubbles out. You want, that, you want to get all that out of there. You want it to settle down. You want it close to its foundation. That's what shaking does. It brings closer to the foundation. It removes what is dead. You think about branches and leaves that come off of a tree. Shaking will bring those off. It hardens what is ripe. I mean, it harvests what is ripe. So uh, up in Indiana, we see that they had the apple orchards, and, and they've got things that will go out with like a big umbrella that would they hook to the tree, and then it wraps around. It puts a net up under it, and the apples all fall off into the, into the umbrella there, and they harvest it like that. They don't have to send somebody up there picking apples. They just, they just shake them so the root fruit's ripe. They, they harvest it off by the shaking. It also awakens. You ever had to shake somebody to wake them up? Wake them up or snap them out of something, you know? You shake them, so it, it awakens things. And the fifth is it unifies or mixes together so it can no longer be separated. We're going to see how all of these things in, in, the, in the sifting and the shaking and the baking that, that Peter went through, all of these things are accomplished. So any thought process or attitude that is rooted in selfishness or pride, it will be purged when we go through these times. And that's what Peter, this is what God is doing in Peter's life. He's trying to purge this selfishness and this pride. And as a result of this tremendous shaking, all of Peter's self-confidence was gone. And what remained was God's sure foundation. He was awakened to his true condition. The dead was removed, ripe fruit was harvested, and it brought him closer to his true foundation. He was no longer functioning in his self-confidence. He became interdependent on the Lord Jesus for everything in his life and in his ministry. That's where God wants to get us. Now understand, Peter was no coward. He, you know, when he was tried and you know, he goes to the garden after they leave the, the, the supper and they go to the garden, that's Gethsemane and they're praying and Judas and the army comes. What did Peter do? He pulls his sword. He's, there's a, a whole army that have come out to take Jesus and Peter pulls a sword and he strikes the ear off of Malchus, I think was his name. And, and, and the Lord says, Peter, put your sword up and he takes the ear and he heals right there. But Peter was no, maybe not a wise decision right there, but certainly not a cowardly decision. He was no coward at all. But look what happened, you know, he goes to this testing and, and, and not all testings in our life are, are big things. It's not always the big testings that get us to stumble. Sometimes it's the small ones. See, Peter was intimidated by a little servant girl. This girl questions him and he cowered down to her when he was brave as everything in the garden. And here this girl says, hey, you're one of them. You're one of his followers. And now, he, now it's different. He cowers, he cowers here. So it's not because he was cowardly, but he cowers right here. He was intimidated by this little girl. And many times the minor testings shake us the most. Peter denied the Lord twice more. The rooster crowed and Peter was broken. Just broken. 
As you read through that and you see how he responded, I mean, he was just, he was in despair. He was so broken. He was shaken of all his self-confidence and pride, and he surely thought that he was done, no longer worthy to serve the Lord. However, it was now, after going through the, se- the sieve and the shaking and the fire, that Peter was ready to fully serve the Lord and fulfill all God had planned for him. Peter, with all that pride, pride, pride could... Help him do some things. I'm self-confident. Look, we can do some things in our own strength. We can, we can accomplish some things. We're not going to accomplish anything for God in our own strength. And so that needed to go. And God allowed Satan to, to shake him. And he took that pride out of his life. And you can read scripture later on where Peter writes about pride. And you go, boy, you see it there. Boy, he's humble. He's humble. He's been humbled. He's a different man. So God did that work. And I mentioned where God did that that work in Job. Remember, God allowed that. And Job grew closer to God as a result of that. After going through that, you talk about shaking what Job went through. And Job had no idea. He just knows, man, things things are bad. I've lost everything. Now I'm sick. My wife says, curse God and die. Nope, I'll, I'm gonna, if I took good from the Lord, I'm going to praise him for the bad as well. And, he, and, he, and, and early on, he held to that. But in the end, we see where Job grew closer to the Lord, closer than he ever could have been if he hadn't gone through the shaking. We see it with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know who that is, right? I don't like to call them the other names. Those are the pagan names given to them. But Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were thrown in the fiery furnace. God allowed them to be thrown in the fiery furnace. He didn't spare them from that. He allowed them to go in and he walked through the fire with them. And they came through it and they grew closer to him than they ever would have been had they not gone through the fire. Make sense? See, here's what happens. See, God works the same way in our lives. He works the same way in our lives. He's working to bring things out of our lives, to get things out of our life that need to be cleaned up. But we too often, see, we get offended with God and we, and we reject the very work He is doing in our lives. You know, last week we talked about the offense we have with other people. But folks, there's a lot of folks that are walking around offended with God. You've become angry with God because God didn't do something the way you thought He should. He didn't do something when you thought He should. He, he allowed someone in your life, they died. And I, I love God and I prayed. And, and, and why in the world did He not give me what I asked for? He's supposed to be a good God and a loving God. And I'm going to tell you, He is a good God and a loving God. God is good. Let's try that again. God is good. And all the time. So see, we, we, I've shared this. We walk down the road, find a $100 bill. Praise God, man. God is so good. But somebody rips you off for $100. I don't hear anybody saying God's good. We go through difficult things and we don't have that mentality. And we should. God is good. Regardless of the circumstances in life and the things that are going on. And we get caught up in questioning God because we get into areas that aren't our business. It's His business. And, and, and I'm ahead of myself again. Here's what, remember this, pride makes us think that we're a victim. And we think we're a victim with God. Well, why didn't God do this? Why didn't God do that? I don't understand why I went through this, that, and the other. You know, God should have done this for me. He should, I prayed. I had faith. Oh, I had faith. We had faith maybe in my faith. But faith in God is is a submission to Him that whatever He's going to do, whatever He does is right. 
It is always right. And it is for my good and for His glory. Always. And we need to learn to do that. So when things don't go the way we think they should, we don't get offended with God and then get angry with Him and we're unforgiving with Him. That happens. Now I want to see where I'm at. Yeah, I'm real close here, folks. As we begin to wrap this up, there was a lady named Helen Rosevere. Helen Rosevere was a British medical missionary in the Congo many years ago. And while she was serving there, there was an uprising during which she was raped, she was assaulted, and she was treated brutally. I think she was held hostage for about 30 days, if my memory serves me right. Just brutally, brutally treated and raped. All these things. Now, she's a missionary serving God on the field. Surely God would protect the missionary that's totally submitted to his will. Surely God wouldn't allow something like that to happen in their life because they love the Lord. Later on, after this had happened, Helen Rosevere said this. Wow, every time I get, read this, this gets me. Later on, she said, I must ask myself a question as if it came directly from the Lord. Can you thank me for trusting you with this experience, even if I never tell you why? There's a few quotes I've heard in my life that I go, that, what maturity? What maturity? I've never, I maybe not have ever heard a more mature comment ever. Hers wasn't, God, why did you let this happen? Her thought was, I could not help but asking myself this question as though God asked it. Can you thank me for trusting you with this experience, even if I never tell you why? But let's listen, look at some other things she said. Look, it's, it's, it's a profound thought, and, and, and God has trusted each of us with our own set of unfair circumstances and unexplained experiences to deal with. Amen? We've all been through things. Y'all know, know my story. I've not been shy about sharing my story. I'm careful with how I share it because there's things I don't necessarily want. There's certain people in my life I don't want to hear those things at this time. But I'm not shy with sharing what God did in my life, the things that happened in my life. And uh, I've shared with you, I wouldn't change it. The things that happened to me, I would not change them. So I learned, I don't know when I learned this, mid-20s maybe. I came to this place of understanding God used those things to make me who I am. And, and he softened me in areas that I would not have been soft, softened in. My heart was purified in ways it would not have been purified if I had not gone through that. And so we've all gone through these things that seem unfair and they seem, man, how, why, why? It's an unexplained experience. Why? Can we still trust him even if he never tells us why? She also said this. She said, God never uses a person greatly until he has wounded him deeply. The privilege he offers you is greater than the price you have to pay. The privilege is greater than the price. Imagine that God works in your life in some way like that. And he does. The privilege of having him work in your life is greater than the price that you pay. Now, I'm going to read another paragraph or two here from, from her. She's just impressive with what she went through and her attitude. And so she, she wrote in her book, in a book called Living Sacrifice, Willing to be Whittled as an Arrow. She says, Could I see that God wanted to transform my life from a somewhat ugly, useless branch to an arrow? 
a tool useful in his hands for the furtherance of his purposes. To be thus transformed was I willing, am I still willing, for the whittling, sandpapering, stripping, processes necessary in my Christian life. The ruthless pulling off of leaves and flowers might include doing away with a tele- or doing without a television set or washing machine, remaining single in order to see a job done, reevaluating the worthlessness, I'm sorry, the worthiness of the ambition to be a good doctor according to my terms and values. The snapping of thorns might include drastic dealing with hidden jealousies and unknown prides, giving up prized rights in leadership and administration. The final stripping of the bark might include lessons to be learned regarding death to self, self-defense, self-pity, self-justification, self-vindication, self-sufficiency, all the mechanisms of preventing the hurt of too deep involvement. Am I prepared for the pain which may at times seem like sacrifice in order to be made a tool for his service. My willingness will be a measure of the sincerity of my desire to express my heartfelt gratitude to him for his so great salvation. Can I see such minor sacrifices in light of the great sacrifice of Calvary where Christ gave all for me? Helen Rosevere. Folks, I guess what the, the, the message in summing up today is this. Don't get bitter with God. We've got to come to this understanding that God uses everything in our life. Don't get bitter with Him. Let God have His way with you. Let Him have His way with you. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and out of love, trust God. If we love God, we can trust God. And we have to get to this place where we trust God. And that's where Romans 8, 28, and we've talked about this verse often here. Romans 8, 20, 28, for we know, listen, for we know that all things, all things, not some things, not most things, but all things work together for good. He doesn't say there all things are good. You know, so to say, oh, well, you're saying that death is good or to go, no, no, no. I didn't say those things were good. But God works all things together for good. He works them for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Why? Why do these things happen? Why does He cause these things to work together for good? Verse 29, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined uh, to be conformed, listen, to be conformed to the image of His Son. This is what God wants for you. This is what God wants for me. This is what God is doing in your life every moment of every day, is working to conform you to the image of His Son, Jesus. So He causes all things to work together for good. Now, bad things can happen, but He causes good to come from it. I wouldn't put anybody on the spot, but there are folks in our church that in the last year have gone through horrible situations, horrible circumstances. Some of them, I think, could come up here, and if they raise their hand right now, I'll let them. That I could tell you how God has used it for good. And I know they've shared some things with me because they've told me some things, how God used it for good. Hard, difficult, painful, heartbreaking things. But they look back and they say, God did this in my life through it. God had a plan. God knew and worked in their life and knew what was going on. But God did this in my life through this event, through this circumstance, through this painful situation. 
And that's how the Lord works in our lives. Shake and bake. Raw meat. Raw meat. Wasn't ready to eat. Make you sick if you ate it. Raw meat. Shaking in a bag. Get all those particles all adhering together and baked in the oven. And out comes something good. That's how God works in our lives, folks. Praise team, if you guys will come. I'm a little late on that. I should have already had you coming. This morning, the invitation is simple. Invitation is simple. I want you to search your hearts this morning. Maybe, maybe there's something where, maybe I just haven't understood that. I didn't understand how God uses even those things, those bad things, those difficult things in my life. And maybe in my life I've been angry with God. Maybe I've been a little upset with Him. Maybe I've, I've put up a wall between me and Him. We talked about last week, tear down that wall. This morning is another opportunity to tear down a wall. Maybe there's a wall that you've built up between you and the Lord. Maybe you've been walking at a guilty distance because you're mad. You ever do that? You know, we do that, right? I, I, I grew up with that. I grew up, I'm going to just tell you, I, this is what I struggle with. So, and my wife knows this, my kids know this. When I get mad, I get quiet. So I'm upset about something, I just don't talk. I, I just, I ain't going to talk to you. I grew up with that, and you know, I hated it. I hated it. And yet I find that's what I struggle with. That's what I struggle with. But you know what? We do the same thing with God. God, why'd you, I don't understand why you did that. So I, 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 ain't talk, I ain't talking to you right now. We're not hurting anybody but ourselves. Amen. Not hurting anybody but yourself. Maybe this morning, maybe, maybe, maybe you just need to have a conversation with the Lord. Maybe, maybe the Lord's convicted you this morning, just like we talked about last week. Maybe there's somebody that you're still, you need to forgive. You need to let that offense go. The altar's open this morning. In just a moment, we're going to sing, and I invite you. Respond to what God's doing in your heart. Respond to what He's telling you. But this morning, most important things, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never come to that place of understanding, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm lost and going to hell. I am hopelessly lost. There's nothing I can do. Jesus Christ has done it all. You're right. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you could do. There's nothing He's going to let you do. It ain't about you. But He does offer you the gift of salvation. He's done all the work. He is offering it to you. And he is, in the, this morning, He may be speaking to your heart. He may convi- be convicting your heart. You feel that. Your heart's pounding. And you go, you know what? I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm lost. I know I need to be saved. And I need to come to Jesus this morning. If that's you this morning, I don't, there ain't nobody else here. It's you and, and God. I encourage you to step out of there and come down here and talk to me. Let, me. let me take the scriptures and just introduce you to the Lord Jesus this morning. Today is a day of salvation. If God's speaking to your heart, don't put off what he's doing in your heart right now. Don't wait because you may never get another chance. If you'll stand with me. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the work you do. Lord, you work in in every area of our life. A million things, a million plates are spinning at one time in what you're doing in my life alone. And we multiply that by the billions of people on this earth. God, you you are limitless in your mind. You're limitless in your power. You're limitless in your presence. You're everywhere all the time. You're all powerful. There's nothing that you don't know. And Lord, you are working in our hearts and our lives constantly in the situations of life. Lord, if we're lost, you're working to bring us to that place of repenting of our sin, turning from it and turning to you, giving up. I'm going to try to do it myself. 
to acknowledging I can't do it myself. I need Jesus. Lord, if there's anyone in here this morning that doesn't know you as Savior, God, don't let them leave here today. God, speak to their heart. May they understand this may be the last time they ever have opportunity to come to faith in you. Lord, I pray you'd bring them burden, break their hearts, break their will that they would step out and come in brokenness and repentance for salvation. Lord, this morning, we may be walking at a guilty distance because, Lord, we've, we, we've taken offense with some way you've worked in our life. I pray that this will be a day of breaking down that wall, confessing that to you, Lord, and renewing that, that fellowship and that relationship with you. Dear God, just whatever needs to be done this morning, I pray that we'll be obedient to respond. Holy Spirit, move. We'll praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.